And today we're going to be specifically looking at John chapter 7. But before I get into that, I really want to uh, review where we've been. So back in John 5, what we had was we had a Jesus that shows up at a pool called Bethsaida. And he sets, a, he, he sets a, a paralyzed man free, paralyzed man that's been there for like 38 years. Jesus walks up to him and he says, take up your mat and walk. And as soon as Jesus did that, as soon as he said to the man, take up your mat and walk, what he did was he, he was telling that man to disobey the rules of the Pharisees. And Jesus was doing this very deliberately because the Pharisees, their source, the source in their life was their power. The source in their life was their authority. And Jesus was coming so that we could all be born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means that we are going to uh, be born as a new creation. And in some sense, it means that we are going to start living from a different source. And so in order for, for Jesus to, to, to execute this project, he has to come to people and he has to confront their false sources. And sometimes when you meet Jesus and you start to follow Jesus, all of a sudden he starts to tear your life up. Right? And you start to wonder, man, why? I thought I was following Jesus. I thought he loved me. And now he's uh, telling people to take up their mat and walk in my face. What is up with that? Right? But what Jesus was doing was he was confronting this false source that the Pharisees had. Because he wanted to replace that false source with the real source, which was the Father. And so he gets into a power struggle with them because their source was power. And they would do anything to keep their power. And we see, we see this happening all the time right now in our country where the police are under, their authority is under attack. And so what you see over and over and over again in video after video after video after video are these power struggles between the police and citizens. Sir, I want you to step out of your car. Why do I got to step out of my car? Sir, I don't think you understand. I am the police. I have the authority. You are supposed to obey my authority. That is why I exist. No. I don't want to uh, be obedient to that because I don't trust you. And then we have a power struggle and pepper spraying and all this kind of stuff goes down, right? It's because there's a power struggle. And so that's exactly what Jesus does with the Pharisees. And the reason he doesn't is not because he's trying to drive them crazy. It's because he wants to point them to a higher authority. They start to say, what, what gives you the right? to do this? What gives you the right to break our rules? And he says, I have a higher authority than you. That's the Father. And so he's confronting them at their source. But then we see Jesus goes to the masses. And the masses have a different source. Their source is not power. They don't have any power. They're poor. They're so poor that when Jesus feeds them, they follow him. And in, so, in one sense, the source of the masses is their hunger. It's their hurt. It's their need. 
And what I mean by that, that the very focus, the whole focus of their life is how am I going to eat today? All right? How am I going to overcome my pain today? They're not worried about a place at the table where they get to decide what happens. They're in survival mode. And so Jesus takes them out into the wilderness and he feeds all of them miraculously. They find a boy with some loaves and some fishes. And that boy gives his food to Jesus. And Jesus takes it and he multiplies it. And he feeds the multitudes. And so now the multitudes want to make Jesus king, as, as Pastor Jonathan told us. But they wanted to make him their king. They wanted to make Jesus a tool, right? And that's the problem when your God is your need. When your God is your need, whoever will meet that need becomes your God. So I need to avoid my pain. My God becomes the drug dealer because he gives me the substance that, that um, medicates my pain, takes my pain away. Or, or it becomes sex, or it becomes an experience, or entertainment, or television, so that I get to escape my pain. And so my, my source becomes whatever can take care of that for me. Or if it is because I'm hungry, whoever will feed my hunger, you get to be my king. But Jesus knows that's not going to work. That's not going to work. It's not going to work because if I feed you today and don't feed you tomorrow, then you're on your way. And you have ceased to understand that your source is God. And so Jesus says, today I'm not going to feed you because the real bread that you need is the bread of life. The real bread that you need is to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's speaking about communion. He's speaking about his death. In resurrection, he's speaking about the fact that he's going to take the sin that lives in us and put it to death on the cross so that we can die to sin. So we're not driven by sin anymore. We're not driven by our addictions. We're not driven by our need for power. He puts it to death on the cross, and then he rises again in a new body so that we too can become a new creation. When Jesus it says, John baptized people at the Jordan River. But when John baptized Jesus, he baptized him in the Jordan River, meaning that Jesus went down into the water, and when he came back up, he was repenting of the entire world system. Everything that's built on uh, might and need, right? The Pharisees' idea was, if we are in charge, we will be taken care of. The masses' idea was if we have the right person in charge, we will be taken care of. Jesus comes and says no to both. If you will make God your source, you will be taken care of. See, in the world, the world says you have if you have might. You're either going to have your own might or the might of somebody else. Right? And that's why we're still doing it today, right? We find a leader who tells us change is going to come. 
All right, we'll follow you. We'll follow you to a greater future. Change is going to come. And then somebody else comes and says, we're going to make America great again. We're going to go back to the good old days, right? And so we follow that person because he is making a promise to us to take care of our need. But Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. God will take care of your need. And with a childlike faith, you put what little you have in God's hands, and he's able to make it multiply. Right? Because God is calling us to be a people of grace, a people that understand that we can trust God for our provision. And because of that, we can share with one another. That boy gave up his entire lunch, and it ended up feeding everybody. Do you see that? And so that, 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 that the kingdom that God is creating is a kingdom that works by faith, not money, not might. It's not a kingdom of dominance. It's a kingdom of surrender. And so what does Jesus tell the, the masses? He enters the victim Olympics with them. You know, when you've been victimized, when you've been dominated, sometimes the only pride you have is in how bad you've had it, <laughs> right? I dare you compare how bad I've had it to how bad you've had it. I'll win every time, all right? That's, that's what happens to victims. It's called the suffering Olympics. And you've got to be real careful. If your pride is in a, what kind of victim you are, what happens when things start to get better? Oh, no. I'm going to lose the Olympics, right? So we find ourselves sabotaging the very success God's trying to give us because so far our narrative power has always come from the fact we're victims. People have taken care of us because how bad we had it. That's where our power for it came from. But Jesus says, I'm going to go on better than you. Who is serving more? Who's got it worse? The waitress? serving you breakfast or the pig that is breakfast who's got it worse jesus said i'm not just the servant at the table i'm not just the priest making the sacrifice i am the sacrifice i am the meal god comes to the victimized and said says i am the ultimate victim of this world but check it out i'm not just a victim because this world can do all it wants to me it's like jesus says let the big bad wolf swallow me and three days later i will be born again jesus says eat my body and drink my flesh let me Come into you, and I'll take the big bad wolf that lives inside of you, and I will transform it from the inside out. Because the reality is this. We are always both the victim and the victimizer. There's a Pharaoh that lives inside of you. That's why when, the, when, when, when God set the people of Israel free, everybody who wanted to be saved had to put blood over their 
over their door, right? Right? Because he wasn't saying the Egyptians are the only bad guys here. The reality was, why were they in Egypt? Because they sold their brother into slavery. So the Born Again Project is creating a new kingdom. It's a kingdom of surrender. It's a kingdom of trusting God. It's a kingdom of faith. And so that's, that's where we've been in the book of John. That's what we've learned so far. And today we're about to encounter a different, a different character in this story. And this character is what I would call, we're going to call this character the crowd. And there's a little different crowd than the crowd that we had in Galilee. Galilee was the hood, all right? Galilee was where the working class, the poor people hung out. Judea was downtown. That's where the power was. And some hood people went downtown. It was okay. They would go there too. They would go to the temple, this place of power, and they would all hang out there because that's where the leadership was. And so there's three things that I want to, we're going to read this passage today, John 7. There's three things I want you to be looking at as we read through John 7. And here's the three concepts about the crowd. Number one, the crowd is a temptation. So number one, the crowd is a temptation. Number two, the crowd is fickle and unstable. All right, we'll see that in the passage. So keep your eyes and your ears open. Your eyes open if you're reading, your ears open if you're listening. Number three, even though the crowd is a temptation, even though the crowd is fickle and unstable, the crowd is still full of individuals that Jesus loves and cares about. And then after we've looked at the crowd, we're going to figure out how is it that we today can resist the temptation of the crowd. All the different temptations of the crowd. All right. So I'm going to read this passage now. John 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. So go figure. Just like certain police, if you uh, challenge their authority, certain power systems, you challenge their, their authority, they just want to kill you. You ever felt that? Had somebody disrespect you, challenge who you were as a person? And... Man, thank God you didn't have something in your hand to get rid of them at that moment, right? Right? So these guys have gotten serious about Jesus. They want to kill him. And they hang out in the place of power, which is Jerusalem. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure 
acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. So his brothers are basically like, hey, you want to be a politician? You want to be in charge? You got to go to Jerusalem, man. You got to go to New York because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? You got to go down to Springfield. You got to go to D.C. If you want folk to really know you, you got to get on The Tonight Show, all right? Head over there. But they said this because they didn't really believe in him. Just a footnote. These were Jesus' brothers, and they did not believe in him. That's how fully man Jesus was. It took a revelation, even if you were Jesus' brother or sister or family, to understand that he was God. That's just how much of a man he was. That's just free. We're not going to preach on that. That's just for free. However, after, the, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. So he went anyways. What's he doing there? I'm not going to go because of why you want me to go. I'm going to go because of why I go places. Sometimes you have to be disobedient. <laughs> Sometimes you have to be disobedient to the why somebody wants you to do something. Even though the what they want you to do, you need to be obedient to. Does that make sense? Sometimes you have to be disobedient to the why people want you to do something. But you still have to be obedient to the what they want you to do. It's very important. Someone could come to me and say, Scott, man, we got to get a little sharper on this order of service and the way we kick off our Zoom thing, all right? Because you're never going to get a crowd if we're not professional, all right? And my answer to that could be we're not, we're not trying to draw a crowd, right? So I might be disobedient to the why they want to do it, but then I might come back to my group and say, man, if we're going to love people, we got to get our stuff together at the beginning of our Zoom service, right? So that we can better love people, right? The why matters. The why I'm doing it matters almost as much as the what I do. And so Jesus does the what. He goes to Judea, but he doesn't do it for the why that his brothers wanted him to do it. And that has to be the, the same with us. Sometimes we're in a place of confusion. Is it okay to do this? It depends on why you're doing it and who ordered you to do it. And sometimes it's, it's okay to not do it just because of who ordered you to do it and you wait till God says, now do it. All right? There's another free one, just 
out of there. However, among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Wow, now that describes the crowd perfectly. Some of them, we love this guy. Some of them, I think he's the devil. But all of them are scared of the leaders. There's this interesting dynamic with the crowd. The crowd is, at one time, thinking for itself, having different opinions, but at the same time, it's afraid to take a risk in any certain way. That's a problem with the crowd. The crowd is fickle. The crowd doesn't have its mind made up. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. Once again, we see Jesus is not on a man agenda. He's on God's agenda. He waits till God says go. The Jews there were amazed. Okay, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So this is a recapitulation. That's a, that's a theological term, recapitulation, all right? And you see this all the time in the Gospels. What you'll see in the Gospel writers is they repeat themselves. They repeat the same message, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. We keep seeing Jesus say, I'm from my father. You don't get it because you're not from my father. If you were from my father, you would get it. He keeps saying that. He says that to the Pharisees. He says it to the masses. And now he's saying it into Judea. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Why? Because he's on message. And it takes a while, if you've been doing something one way and thinking something one way, to think something a different way. People of God... Stick with it. All right? Jesus had to stick with it. He was Jesus. Jesus had to repeat himself. Man, we've been out here for five years. We've been out here preaching the gospel five years. When is it going to change around here? We're out here for night church every night. When is it going to change around here? Hey, welcome to the club, right? Welcome to the family. Did you get it right away? Zach was telling me when he was under Christian, man, all these crusade people were coming to him. He gave him such a hard time. Now he looks back on the person he was back then, and he's embarrassed. 
But God hung, hung in there with Zach. Chant, Chantal hung in there with Zach, right? People hung in there with you. So we don't get to decide when this neighborhood gets it, all right? We just got to get the message and keep getting the message and keep preaching the message. That's what Jesus did. And every time somebody opposed the message, he had a different argument to re-explain the message to them. But the message did not change. He was from the Father. He was starting this born-again project. He was, he was doing a new thing. He was building the kingdom. He stuck on message. All right? He wasn't some politician that every time you hear him speak is saying something different because the crowd in front of him is different. He is always saying the same thing. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Now, we know from the scripture that Jesus was born in Bethlehem accidentally because of this unique situation. So he fully fit the description of the Messiah, but the people didn't have all the answers yet, right? And Jesus wasn't bothered by that. He didn't produce his birth certificate to show that he was a Bethlehem citizen, right? He just kept rolling, right? Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus is always taking his authority back to the Father. Can we do that? Right? That's why the why we do something is so important. If why we do church is to build a crowd so that we have power, we missed it. If why we do church is to worship God, to be a family, and to be the witness of Christ, the message of Christ in the midst of a people, that is a, a motivation that comes from above. That's not an empire motivation. That's a kingdom motivation. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will not look for me, but you will find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. 
Still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided. Everybody said amen because the people are always divided. It's because of Jesus. They couldn't make up their mind. Is Black Lives Matter okay? Is it all right to say Black Lives Matter? If we say Black Lives Matter, are we representing the organization or are we representing what it says? Are we blah, 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 right? Should we wear a mask or should we not wear a mask? If, we, if I wear a mask, am I part of the conspiracy to take over America and steal all of our rights and make us a socialist state? I don't know. Or if I wear a mask, am I doing it to protect my neighbor? And the Facebook debate continues. Ad nauseum, ad nauseum. I want to vomit, right? No different with Jesus. Truth can show up and people will debate it. They have been since the beginning of time. And we shouldn't be surprised when it's happening in our day. Does Jesus throw up his hands and quit because the people can't make up their mind about him? No. Should we throw up our hands and quit because the people can't make up their mind about the truth? No. We just got to stick with the truth. Finally, the temple guards. So this is hilarious, just this aside. So that earlier we saw who was afraid of the leaders. The people were. Now we see the leaders are afraid of the people. Why? Because the people get the power from the leaders, and the leaders get their power from the people. It's a circle. Notice Jesus isn't on that merry-go-round. His power doesn't come from either. It doesn't come from the leaders, and it doesn't come from the people. He can do Whatever God tells him to do, so must be the people of God. And the temperature on my phone just made it go dead. So I could bring us home. We started this passage, John 7, 1 through 7. Jesus' brothers come to him and say, if you want to be a public figure, Go to Jerusalem. That is the temptation of the crowd. If you want to have power, you got to draw the crowd. If you want to have power, you got to be behind the winning candidate. The crowd is watching the crowd to see who's going to win, to know what, to, what side to be on, because the crowd depends on the crowd for its power. If you want to be a public figure, Go to Jerusalem. When Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he had three temptations. Turn these rocks into bread. That was not, I don't believe, just about Jesus' immediate hunger. That was about if you could turn rocks into bread, the people are going to love you because people are hungry. People are only hungry because they're not obeying Jubilee. They're not sharing with one another. But if you can just create bread from rocks all day long, you can feed the people. The temptation is be what the people want. Do you understand? So that right away you see this first temptation of Jesus is give the people what they want. They want bread. And Jesus says, yeah, but man cannot live by bread alone. 
if they lived by the word of God, they would have enough bread because everybody would be sharing. They would be doing it my way. Which is to understand God is the provider because he provided. I have to share when I have too much. If you were doing what God told you to, I won't need to make bread out of stones. You'd have enough bread to go around for all of you. And where you lack because of famine or any other situation, if you put it in my hands, I'd take care of that miraculously. By taking what little you had and multiplying it. The temptation was to give the people what they want so you could be a public figure. The sec second temptation was Satan took Jesus. He put him up on top of the temple. So this is a little shorter probably than the temple. But imagine all of a sudden we looked up. We see a man standing up on top of Gale, Stephen F. Gale School right up there. There's two guys right up there. One's the devil. One's this guy we never met before, Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus jumps from the temple. There's huge crowds of people. It's, it's downtown, Willis Tower, used to be Sears Tower, right? All the people are there. Thousands of people. Jesus jumps from the temple. He starts to fall, and right before he hits the ground, a bunch of angels show up and catch him. Whoa. Tell me what you're on. That must be the Messiah. Nobody else has angels catch him like that. That's what the devil is saying. Become a public figure. Show the people who you are so they will follow you. And Jesus says, no. I'm not going to do it that way. Because I'm not going to put the Lord God to a test. I don't do things to find out if God is with me. I already know he's with me, so I only do what he tells me to. Sometimes the problem with our witness is we're just not secure enough, and that's all right. Some of us are growing. But we are to grow in maturity to a point where we are like a rock. And someone says, man, if Jesus is real, then do this. I don't need to, man. I know Jesus is real. Sometimes just looking somebody in the eye and saying that to them will rock their world. They don't know anything in their life that they're that sure about. That's why the crowd is back and forth. Is he this? Is he this? That's the crowd. Third temptation, Satan says, you know, I run, I run this thing, don't you? I'm in the brain. I'm in the head. I'm calling the shots behind the scenes of every empire on earth. How about I just put you in charge? All you got to do is worship one person. Everybody else can follow you. You can teach them everything you want to teach them. You can set up your new system. All of that, all you got to do is make sure I'm the one who's in charge. That's a deal with the devil right there. And it, the same thing comes to us all the time. Just compromise. Think what we could have. One of the guys in our church keeps getting offered six-figure income salaries, presidencies of companies, and he keeps turning them down again and again. And I know the devil is always there. Imagine you had a million dollars a year, man. What good you could do. But he has the wisdom to understand 
only if that's what God tells me to do, not because I see what could be done with the power. Jesus doesn't need power from the devil. Either does the church. We don't need the power from money. We don't need the power from a crowd. We don't need power from politicians. We don't need to be at anybody's table but God's table. Ever. That's the temptation of the crowd. Because the crowd can give you all those things. And that's what Jesus' brothers are saying. Go get yourself a crowd. Then you can make a difference. But here, guys, right here is the way we resist that temptation and the way we know we're resisting the temptation. And I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the scripture right in front of me. But Jesus says, y'all can do whatever you want whenever you want because you're basically, you're not on God's plan. But I'm on God's plan. And when I go someplace, they hate me. And do you know why they hate me when I show up? because I expose that their deeds are evil. I expose that their deeds are evil. <laughs> so is Jesus going to Jerusalem to get a crowd to follow him? No, he's going to Jerusalem to expose the evil deeds of the crowd. We have to do the same. People of God, if we're going to be in the crowd, we've got to be not of the crowd. People of God, when we're in the crowd, their deeds, their wicked deeds should be exposed. When we come around, if you're doing evil, you are suddenly bothered that you're doing evil. Because I shine a light on it. And in order for us to do this, I'm going to end right here. Two things. We have to be pure and we have to be a people. We have to be pure and we have to be a people. Jesus did not come to gather a crowd. Jesus came to make a people. The difference between a crowd and a people is a crowd is just a crowd. There's every little different ambition in the crowd. A people knows who they are through and through. And if you're with a real people, you know who they are too. Because they're all on the same page. And so if we are going to resist the temptation of the crowd, and if we are going to... Uh, exist within the crowd, we need to have our only source be from God. Our only ambition is God ambition. And guys, that's why we also have to be a people. Because I got to sit down with Kevin and got to say, hey, man, I'm thinking about this. He can look at me. That doesn't sound like God, Scott. They're offering me a million dollars to go over here. Yeah, but what about all the things you said God told you you were going to do here? That's why we're a people, because a pe your people will keep you pure if the people are on God's agenda. Do you see how it works together? And your purity 
Tawana, when you are fighting with everything you got to be pure before God, that impacts Tigus next to you because she sees that and it spurs her on towards uh, good deeds. See? And if we're doing this right, if we're the people of God doing this right, when the people of God enter into a crowd, their, their deeds are exposed. They understand these people are from a different place. Where are you coming from? I'll tell you exactly where I'm coming from. Turn with me to John chapter 3, right? This is where we are coming So, guys, this is my question to you. Is there any decision you're making right now There's more of a crowd decision than a God decision? Where is the purity missing? Where are you confused? Is this God's way? Is it not God's way? Is this the Messiah? Is this not the Messiah? Should I follow Jesus? Should I not? Where is that? Where is that confusion popping up for you right now? Is it in your profession? Is it in a relationship? Is it in what you do with your recreational time? Is it what, what is driving you? Is it pure? Lord, we thank you that you are coming to establish a people and Lord, more than just establishing a people, you're establishing a people that will be that net that catches the lost, that are, that are in the crowd, uh, blown back and forth by every new idea, by every new experience, by every new temptation. Lord, would you... Establish a people for yourself here in the North of Howard community. Lord, that is purely, purely from you, that exposes wickedness for what it is and invites people in to your born-again project. Amen.